You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are coming to you in advance of the Titans' joint practices and preseason game with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about what we saw from the Titans' in preseason game number one. In addition to all of that, we're going to get into an exciting topic with Titans head coach Mike Vrabel. We're going to play a similar game with Mike Vrabel to the Tannehill game that everyone knows and loves. Since we won't have a guest on this week to play the Tannehill game, we're going to play the Vrabel game. We're also going to talk about Des Fitzpatrick and his recent fall from grace. But before any of that, Matias, what is the question of the week? The question of the week this week is, would you rather have the Titans wide receivers or would you rather have the Buccaneers wide receivers? Very contentious subject. I personally would rather have the Bucks receivers, but uh, definitely close one. It is close. I, I think it's a tough question. Obviously, the Titans ha- have the two studs at the top, but so do the Bucks. They have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who are, you know, very close to A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. I would probably give Jones and Brown as a duo the nod over that other duo. But then you bring in Antonio Brown, and I think that ends the discussion, no? Yeah, and then uh, I'm going to let Will go here in a second, but uh, then you add in Scotty Miller. Yeah, add in Tyler I, c- Johnson, I couldn't remember his and- name. Yeah, it's a, they just seem to have more depth, at least more talented depth, uh, than the Titans do. Although a lot of the receivers did very well in the first preseason game. I'm sure we're going to uh, talk about that. But I would just rather have Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson over, you know, Josh Reynolds, uh, Des Fitzpatrick, Cam Batson, Chester Rogers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, I think it all goes down to like, what do you value in a receiver and like how much 
I guess what sort of premium you put on efficiency. So I looked it up and last year, this is their sort of efficiency numbers. First of all, Chris Godwin only had 840 yards. So if he's your number two, look that I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad, but what I'm saying is it's in my head. He had much more, I mean, way more receiving yards than that. And Mike Evans only had a thousand and six, if I'm reading that right, which seems insane. Uh, but AJ Brown had 1,075 and he missed two games and Julio Jones had 771 and he missed six games. So it, when you look at efficiency yards per reception, AJ Brown, 15.4 Julio Jones, 15.1 Mike Evans, 14.4 Chris Godwin, 12.9. So, you know, like clearly AJ Brown and Julio Jones were the, the dominant pair there and they you know, they had a full three yards over Chris Godwin. And I'm trying to do quick math here. I think the numbers are about the same uh, when you combine what A.J. Brown and Julio Jones got in 25 games, or sorry, 23 games compared to 28 games between Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. So I think there's a perception of what mike evans and chris godwin are because they've had long-term production uh not necessarily i i I don't want to say this like i'm trying to down those guys because i like i mean we've talked a lot about how we like mike evans on here and how we think he's criminally underrated but he did only have i mean he just barely broke a thousand i think he had like 15 more receiving yards last year than Corey davis and mike evans played all 16 games and he played him with tom brady in a pass heavy offense so, for me, I, I would take the Titans just because I think there's more upside there with that group, and I think they're more efficient. So, I, I think they could do more if given more. So, we are curious what you think about this. Would you take the Bucks receivers, or would you take the Titans receivers? Why don't you let us know? You can do that on social media, at No Nonsense Pod, both Twitter and Facebook. You can also, if you're not a social media person, send us an email, email no nonsense at gmail.com. We would love to hear whether you would rather have the Titans or the Bucks receivers. All right, we're about to get into preseason game number one. We're going to talk about Rashad Weaver. We're going to talk about Chester Rogers. We're going to talk about Logan Woodside versus Matt Barkley, which apparently I let off a firestorm for having said that I thought Barkley was better than Woodside. I. People did not like that I said that, and we'll get into that. But first, Will, we have just launched a partnership with our friends at Manscaped. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about what they have going on? Yeah, so uh, Manscaped has their Lawnmower 2.0, which is their fourth-generation trimmer. It also features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology, which is good because if you're using Manscaped, you don't want any accidents. Uh, It has a 7,000 RPM motor, which seems scary at first, but again, I can't emphasize enough the skin-safe technology, so don't worry about that. Um, You can also get the Performance Package 4.0, which has the Weed Whacker, which is waterproof, and it kind of helps you with everything let's say, more detailed that you would need. Then you've got the nose and ear hair trimmer, which provides proprietary skin-safe technology again, which if you've ever trimmed your nose, which I have before, you really want that because 
there is nothing more aggravating than nicking your nose and have to walk around and putting Vaseline in it. It is just a whole hassle. Uh, so if I were you, I would join me and Matthias and Luke and the two million other men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going by, by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. And you can use the code FANSIDED20. That's capital F-A-N-S-I-D-E-D. Sorry, FANSIDED20. Let's talk about Rashad Weaver, guys. He looked fantastic in the Titans' preseason debut, wreaking havoc, na- uh, notching a sack and a half, making a tackle on special teams. I think he had a pass breakup, too. He was everywhere. It, you know, it was against second and third team, sure, but you can only face who you're out there against. And he dominated them. And this is a fantastic sign for the Titans who desperately need a third pass rusher to make life easier for Bud Dupree and Harold Landry. Yeah, he he was outstanding. He was easily one of the Titans' best players. Uh, He was just making plays both as a pass rusher, which he looked fantastic, but also in the run game. Uh, He was also moving around the entire defensive line. I saw him line up on the right side. I saw him line up on the left side. He even kicked inside at times. And that versatility could really come in handy. And, and I think that's what the what the Titans drafted him for. Uh, and we got a lot of glimpses of, of what he could bring to the team. And it kind of made me wonder uh, if the reason that he fell to the fourth round, because he had a, a good college career, like he was productive uh, and he was one of the better defensive ends slash ed- edges uh, in the ACC during his time there. So it kind of had me wondering if the reason he fell to the fourth round was not because maybe he wasn't all that athletic, but maybe if, if it was because uh, of the legal situation that, that he's kind of going through. So, but, but I football, football centric, I'm very excited. He looked great. Uh, and, and it seems like if he's out there for the duration of the season, he's going to be, uh, the primary backup to Harold Landry and Bud Dupree, and he'll be able to give them breathers, and, and the talent drop-off won't be uh, as severe as it was last year. Yeah, I, I really like him. I, I compared him to sort of a longer, more athletic Jack Crawford after I watched him on uh, Friday. He, the thing that he does that he won't get credit for but is really impressive and important is – they lined him up against tight ends a lot and he kicked inside for pass rush downs and he kicked down to three tech and he played some five tech and all that kind of stuff. But what really is, I mean, just viscerally fun to see is it, they'll match him up with tight ends and his job is just to take the tight end and bull rush back. So he'll extend his arms and Mike Rebels talked about pad level and all that. And he needs to drop it a little bit, but you can see it on his big tackle for loss where he stood up the tight end and then shed him and made the tackle. Like he's so low that he can drive through the block backwards and then shed it. And when he sheds it, he's already underneath the ball carrier. So he can just make that hit. And, I, I don't know. We've seen so many years where the Titans have had like a Will Svitek or somebody like that when they're in transition from Pro Bowl tackle to Pro Bowl tackle, and there'll be somebody like J.J. Watt who just bullies somebody and pushes them in the backfield. And once that happens, you just feel helpless. And that's kind of the sense I got when I was watching Weaver is 
that there was nothing the offensive line could do. He could line up on the left side versus the right tackle, and he'd beat them. He'd line up on the other side versus the left tackle. He'd win that. He'd line up versus the tight end, and they would chip and double-team him. He'd beat that. They would try to boot away from him and then come back, and that's when he got that pass deflection where he tracked the outside shoulder of the quarterback. Like, I mean, he did everything you want him to do, and it's one preseason game, like you said, and you can only play against who you can play against, but this was like if they would have put Jeffrey Simmons out there and he played against somebody's twos. So if you translate that and you want to say that that was their twos and threes, that's the kind of tangible, I guess, comparison you can make. It it was just truly dominant. Can he translate that? Obviously not maybe that level of dominance, but is that a sign of things to come? Because I I think it is. I think, you know, we're not used to seeing Titans rookies go out there and dominate like that. A.J. Brown is sort of the exception. Yeah, what I want to see is more about what the defense did from a schematic standpoint, where which was they great. Were playing, I thought, yeah, yeah, it was it was a hundred percent different than last year. It was, and and some of it was because uh, Shane Bowen called his you know rush three and drop everybody on the first third and four, and there was what was it holding or something that called it back. And then the next play, cause they completed it like everybody always has. And then they called it back for a penalty. And then after that, he just blitzed or he would like the, there was no three man rushes. What he would do is sometimes he would have Rashad Weaver line up outside and, in almost a wide nine. I don't want to say that because Jim Schwartz is here and I don't want people to like say, Oh, that's just Jim Schwartz. But it kind of is. Like there were times when you could see him deliberately line up outside of the tight end before he rushed. And that is something that we never saw last year. There was never space between the defensive linemen. So to see four man rushes and to see blitzes and to see, you know, second level stuff come in and uh, I mean, just destroy the pocket of the quarterback. Like that all translates because at that point you're talking about winning one-on-ones and if they're going to match them up with tight ends, I I have no doubt in my mind that he's strong enough to just bully tight ends without changing anything. Now, the question is, are they going to be that aggressive during the regular season? Are they going to focus purely on trying to make him a pass-rushing three technique instead of letting him work outside where he looked really good? That, I don't know. But, I mean, that power and athleticism has translated since he was a sophomore at Pitt. So it, it, it'll translate now. I mean, it's it's not that. It's just how they use them and if they stay aggressive. My biggest takeaway from this game, well, Weaver was probably my biggest takeaway, but what looked the best to me was Chester Rogers on those two punt returns. His first punt return was, it was either 14 or 17 yards. Those numbers are stuck in my head. I can't remember which one it was. It was like, one of the greatest punt returns I'd ever seen. It, he he is like nothing the Titans have had in a long time. He's decisive. You know, he doesn't just stand back there and dance around like Deion Lewis or Dexter McCluster. He gets upfield. He's fast. He's super smooth. He glides from side to side. And he's so experienced as a punt returner. Did it a ton in Indianapolis that he is safe with the football. I I think the Titans have found 
And he caught a 17-yard pass in the first quarter. I, I think the Titans have found a gem in this guy. Am I overreacting to already declare him better than everyone who has returned a punt for the Titans since Mark Mariani went to the Pro Bowl? No, because our punt returners have been god-awful. And yeah, I, just seeing... I, su- I suppose it's not really like saying a whole lot there to say that he's better than all of those guys than like the Darius Raynods and Dexter McClusters of the world. Yeah, just seeing a competent returner would have us over the moon, to be honest, uh, after some of the crap we've seen uh, over the past decade. But, I mean, he's really good, and he's had success in the past, uh, and then he breaks off that long punt return uh, in this game, and like you said, his initial return was also a good one. I think he got about 9 or 10 yards uh, or something like that. So, I mean, that long punt return assured him of a spot on the team, which I think he already kind of had locked down. We kind of had him as the fifth or sixth receiver uh, on the team ahead of some of these other guys. Uh, And not only the punt return, like you said, that 17-yard catch, it was a great catch. Like, Logan Woodside threw it a little bit behind him, uh, and he had to reach back and kind of make, like, a turning uh, catch while he was falling down. And I believe that was on a third and long, maybe, like, a second and long. uh, And he ended up converting the first down with it. So... That was really nice to see, and I think he's already assured himself of a spot on the roster. And But he has a little bit of competition because all the receivers played very well, at least the ones he's competing with, uh, because Batson had that, that touchdown on the back shoulder throw from Woodside, uh, really good catch. And then he also had a, a very nice punt return as well. Uh, and then Mason Kinsey comes in, in the second half, and he's just you know ripping off chunk gains looking like Adam Humphreys 2.0 out there. So definitely a lot of competition at, at the wide receiver spot, and that's something that definitely stood out to me. Uh, they all looked really good. I didn't see much from Josh Reynolds or, or Racy McMath. Uh, Des Fitzpatrick, I think we're going to talk about in a little bit. He really didn't do anything. I, I don't know how many snaps he really played. Uh, but Kinsey, Chester Rogers, those guys played played very well. Now, before we move on, because I think the natural transition here is to go into Des Fitzpatrick. Yeah. I do want to talk about one thing that I saw that's incredibly important. I'm not sure if we've talked about it. I know I tweeted about it. But uh, the one thing to take away from this game more than anything else is what the Titans did on third down. And not the the aggressiveness, although that is important. You have to know that it that – in teaching moments like preseason games, you need to watch what Mike Vrabel does. And something different that they did this year that they did not do last year is on third and long, there were three third and longs, or really three third downs with any semblance of the first team defense on the field. And on first and second down, the starting linebackers were Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown. On third down, it was Jayon Brown and David Long. And they did that in all three of the third down situations. And I, I think I'm the first one that saw it. I don't, I don't know how popular it's been. I don't know if a lot of people have talked about it, but it was a very clear switch in personnel in the in which did not happen at all last year. It, they, they, it was like pulling teeth to get David Long on the field for Rashawn Evans, and it usually took somebody getting hurt or suspended for it to happen. So that is a massive step forward if that's something that continues. Yeah, I, th- I think David Long is going to take Rashawn Evans' job. 
pretty but pretty pro- soon. David Long's problem is coverage. Now, he made a great play. That interception that he had was phenomenal. Super zone coverage. It, it, it you, you sort of bet on yourself when you make a play like that because you're intentionally putting yourself in the wrong position to bait the quarterback into that throw when you know you have the athleticism to then get back in front of it. Great play. But over the years, David Long is a run linebacker. Like, that was his first interception, he said, since high school. So, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not in on the whole get Rashawn out of there train. Like, I, I'm kind I of mean, Rashawn, on that. Rashawn Evans is a fullback playing defense. Like, he does not know what he's supposed to be doing in the pass game. Like and David Long does? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, at the very least, even if he doesn't run to the right spot, he's not one wrong step away from being completely useless. Like, I mean, we, I mean, we've seen Rashawn. I mean, I, I don't want to say Avery Williamson, but I will if you make me. Like, it, the, there's been some Rashawn bad reps. better than Avery. Well, mm, I don't know. Be real careful, Luke, because you're going to be on the wrong side of history. <laughs> like, I think, I think Evans does a lot of things well. I think if they ever find a way to let him use that spin move that he had in college, if that's the only way that he should be involved in, in any sort of pass rush or third down situation because I think that is a very good move, and he's athletic. But he is a inside, middle linebacker, like maybe strong side guy, Like, but you cannot leave him in coverage. He'll, he'll get dusted. He'll get caught up in crossing routes. He'll run the wrong way. Like The thing with David Long that makes him bad in coverage is he's so aggressive with his first step that he's never thinking pass first. He's always thinking, I've got to get to the run as fast as possible because that's how I make my money. Like It's not that he doesn't have the athleticism. If they just stuck him in man coverage with somebody, he could stick with them. But his job is always to be in zone and on you know first and second down, he's thinking it's going to be a run, and sometimes he bites hard on play actions in the wrong spot. If you put him on the field on third down, you say, look, you've got this zone here, and I don't care if they run it to the left and you're on the right and you think you have a shot, you stay you stay in this zone. Like his problem his problem is that he does actually play with his hair on fire. Like not not like the Rashawn Evans <laughs> quote. I mean, like he like he very violently and aggressively. Like go yeah. back and uh, you can watch the screen pass from this preseason game. Like the people who are there first are him and I think it's Tier Tart. Like they sniff Pop-Tart. out the screen instantly. Yeah, it, he and Pop Tart are right there, and like they were just so clearly a step ahead of anything Atlanta wanted to do. So uh, I think I think David Long, at the very least, you can blitz him or have him cover in the flat. But I think his the upside on David Long just on third down situations. I I mean I think he could be very good. Let's get back on track with the preseason game. And let's talk about Des Fitzpatrick. We don't need to pile on him. Our, our listeners know what's up here. He's struggled. Mike Vrabel said he needs to do a lot more in practice if he wants more opportunities in preseason games. He doesn't look good. He, he kind of looks over, like he's in his own head. He dropped three passes at practice the day after uh, the game. Last night at Nissan Stadium, he dropped a pass during individual drills. The only receiver to drop a pass during individual drills. It's not looking good, so I'm going to simply ask you guys a question that, that we discussed this morning on the A to Z Sports Morning Show, which is, 
Do you cut Des Fitzpatrick if you're John Robinson, or do you put him on the 53-man roster? Assume for the purposes of this question that mystery injury trip to IR is not an option. <laughs> no, I'm not cutting him. It's been, it's been, it's been one game. I mean, I, I know he hasn't been performing in practice, uh, and he really didn't show anything in the game. But this is a guy you traded up for. Like they, they traded up for him in the fourth round where when there were maybe more talented receivers or more productive receivers going in that range. And, and if you invest that much in a player, it's because you saw something uh, in him that you really liked. And just because it hasn't shown up yet doesn't mean it's not going to show up, I don't know, in the next game. It could, or in the third preseason game. So, look, I, I, I think we need to be – patient with him just like maybe we haven't been patient with other players uh in the past but there's a lot left to be written uh in in his career i think and we can't just overreact to to a couple of practices and uh and one game i mean caleb farley was terrible in practice and he didn't even play in this game are you are you are you gonna cut him you know it's not i know it's not the same because he was a first round pick and des fitzpatrick uh went a couple rounds later but it's similar it's similar. It is because you you invested in the player, and a fourth round pick isn't nothing. It's not something to sneeze at. So I, I think to we need to at? take a step back. Nothing yeah. to sneeze at. Yeah, I know thing. that. I, I know that saying. expression. Yeah, I've never heard it put it, that way. It's what it's what oh, yeah. us old people say. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'll say this: like I think the situation is more comparable to Johnu Smith, where. The Titans drafted him in the third round, but the the entire plan was whenever Delaney retires, we want you to have developed into being the guy because he was a guy with physical tools who, they, I mean, they didn't jump off the page. He wasn't a freak, and he was more of a receiver than a blocker, but they worked and worked and worked, and finally when it was his time to step up three years later, you look at, look at what he did. So... I like to look at it in that vein. So if I'm Robinson, I know that I'm not drafting Fitzpatrick to be my number two receiver day one. Like that, that was never the plan. And in retrospect, he was probably going to be the the fourth or fifth receiver on this team based on, you know, he, if John Robinson thought he was going to trade for Julio or, and if that didn't work, he might've made him another move, whatever, like based on the final roster composition, so with that in mind, I have to think it's a two-year plan at minimum. And so I'm keeping Julio. I'm keeping AJ. I'm keeping Josh Reynolds, even though that seems to be mildly controversial now for whatever reason. Um, I'm keeping uh, Johnson. I'm keeping Rogers, McMath, and Fitzpatrick. And I'm cutting Batson and Kinsey. And that's just because we've seen a lot of Cam Batson – I don't think there's any risk that if he hits the open market, somebody's going to come snatch him up. Yeah, I think yeah. That's the and, thing. That's the thing you have to remember with a lot of these things we're talking about. Do you cut this guy or not? Is the question isn't so much do you want them? The question is, is anybody else going to take him? And with Cam yeah. Batson, I don't. I don't think so. And remember that the practice squad rules are that you can have. I think it's up to six uh, players who've got unlimited you know, accrued years in the NFL. Yes. So at this point you can say, look, Cam Batson, you know that you're 
next man up. If anybody on this roster gets hurt, you'll be you'll be right back on the roster because what you can do in special teams and because you've been here forever and you know what you're doing. Like, if you stay with us, we'll protect you every week. And then if something happens, you're in. And I think that's enough to say, okay, rather than to take a flyer and maybe never get a chance to latch onto a team again. And I think you can probably do something similar with Kinsey, where you can say, look, we, we want you the practice squad. You know how easy it is for players to get injured in the NFL. Cut, you know, jump in if you can. If not, we'll try this again next year, and you know, we'll see what we have then. But I, I think that Fitzpatrick would definitely get picked up just because of pre-draft grades. You know, some team like yeah. with the Texans who've got nothing at wide receiver. Like, yeah, that's a good you, point. You run that risk. I, I just think it is dangerous. And, Matias, you, you basically said this. I think it is dangerous to get in the business of cutting draft picks before they play if if they are not, you know, sixth round and down. Because this morning when we asked the question on the morning show, there were a lot of people who said things like, you know, well, you made a mistake. It's clear. Just go ahead and move on. I'm like, eh, I, I don't love just cutting a fourth-round draft pick. And it's not so much an ego thing. It's not so much John Robinson saying, well, I invested in this man and I will, you know, that's not what's happening. What's happening is when you pick someone in the fourth round, you think they've got a lot of potential and you don't just give up on that on August 17th. No, look, if this was a personal thing, a character thing, like Isaiah Wilson was, I would be on the other side. I would be like, okay. I, and, I, and, and I said it. that I said that on the show this morning. You know, if he if he, if he was showing up to practice high or you know whatever, that's different. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I'm really uh, I I don't like the idea of, of just cutting a fourth round player um, that easily, especially like like you guys have talked about. Like he will get picked up immediately by another team because there are a lot of teams that need uh, receivers with his profile, young receivers with his profile. Uh, that do have potential and like nothing against Batson and, and Mason Kinsey and Marcus Johnson, Batson and Johnson. We know what they are. We know what types of NFL players they are. They don't have much of a ceiling really at all. They're just role players. Kinsey yeah. seems like he could be a solid slot receiver, but that's about it. That's Fitzpatrick just fits the mold of a guy who could maybe potentially with the right coaching and in the right situation, be a a good starter in the NFL and possibly more and I'm just not willing to take the risk and cut him a month into his actual professional career yeah and say what you want but Robinson has done a pretty good job of finding guys who stick on a roster somewhere on day three I mean he had Kalen Reed LaShawn Sims Tajay Sharp was around for a while he had uh Brad Seaton, I think, is with Tampa or something like that. And then Corey Levins, a fringe starter at the Jets, I think. Then you've got Dane Crookshank still on the team. I mean, he's hit on David Long. Like, he hits on day three guys, even if they're not boom guys. Yeah. I got another question for y'all. Is Matt Barkley better than Logan Woodside? Because I tweeted that I thought Matt Barkley was better than Logan Woodside. And, and I set off a firestorm. And, and, and it was weird. You know, we talked about with, uh, a lot of people talked about with the Kaharski tweet that set off A.J. Brown. Everyone was like, 
Of all the things Paul has said over the years, that's a weird one to get, like, you know, vile and angry about. And I kind of felt the same way. Like, I've said a lot of controversial things about the Titans. I didn't realize this was going to get people so inflamed. But I had people coming at me right and left telling me that this was stupid. Buck Rising quote tweeted me and said it was like the travesty of the game. I'm driving in the car the other day listening to Jared Stillman, and he goes, Man, and then there's this take out there about Logan Woodside from Luke Worsham. I'm like, okay, I didn't realize this was that controversial of an opinion. So what do you all think? Is Barkley better than Woodside, or is this a, a foolish question to even be asking? I mean, Matt <laughs> Barkley's a better quarterback than Logan Woodside. I don't think. I don't think that's so, crazy. So, so you I mean, agree? A, and I, yeah, I mean, I I don't know if he played better in this particular game, but I don't know how much we can really. Ju- I mean, people are acting like Woodside was was fantastic. See, in this that's game. what that's you what can, I don't get. I think it is a perfectly fair opinion to say that you think Logan Woodside is better than Matt Barkley. Quite frankly, I'm I'm kind of on the fence about it. I just lean Barkley. I'm not. I don't think he's like markedly better. But there were all these people that were like, "Did you not see Woodside in this game? How impressive he was!" I'm like, I get that he was under fire the whole time, and, and Dean Blit, Dean Dean Blitz Dean Pease showed no mercy with his blitzes, but like. It, he was fine and didn't do anything wrong. Good throw to Batson for the touchdown, I thought. Wasn't, like, remarkable. And, and Barkley wasn't remarkable. Yeah. So, uh, I thought Woodside had a couple of, of decent, like, evasions from pressure. Uh, and he made a couple of good throws, like you said, the one to Batson. But he also had two throws that were completely behind his receivers. One of them was to Chester Rogers. Rogers ended, ended up catching it. And the other one was to Batson. Uh, that could have gone for like 15 to 20 yards, but it was way behind Bassett and he couldn't catch it. Uh, and those are throws like you're expected to make if you're an NFL quarterback. Sure, he did. He played okay. He was fine. Uh, I thought Barkley was maybe he was way more aggressive, like downfield. I think his average uh, depth of attempt was like 16 yards down the field, which it was, which is something that I don't think we've really seen from Barkley in the past. And I kind of like that aggression uh, and. I don't know. Like I thought he looked a little better. He he was a little more confident in the pocket, but I didn't think Woodside was bad, but people are acting like Woodside was was amazing and and just was is the clear backup. I mean, I saw something today. I can't remember if this was an article or a podcast topic. I was just kind of quickly going through Twitter and this popped up. It was like that the title was is Logan Woodside a long-term quarterback two of the future for the titans i'm just thinking what are we doing here what are we it's the the uh fox sports soccer guy what's his name taylor twelman yes what are what are we doing here i mean look they were fine. Both of them were fine. I, I don't have a strong opinion. Like I my the, when I side with you on this, Luke, it's because I don't think anybody should have a strong reaction to either yeah, one yeah. of them. Yeah, I'm not. Like, and, and that's what I've tried to make clear since yeah. since uh, Friday night is like I'm not like pounding my fist, standing on the table for Matt Barkley. I just think he's better. Yeah, and that's that's totally fine. I I, I think he's probably better just because. I remember him back in college and I think he was good then. And then, you know, he's, he's done spot duty and it hadn't been great, but 
at, you know, at least I've seen what he can do. I think the weird thing is, you know, Matias was talking about this a little bit. In preseason games, there's specific things you want to, like, work on, uh, especially in the first preseason game. And the Titans at the end of the game very clearly wanted Matt Barkley to push the ball deep down that right side. And they tried it with McMath, and they tried it with... I think it was Brown. I think it was Fred Brown. Yeah, yeah, may, yeah, maybe it was Fred Brown. All on the ground, Brown. Yeah, and I, and I and I they they clearly wanted to say like, okay, let's see how you do in these situations. And neither one of them came up with the touchdown catch or anything like that. But I think, I think they both had two different assignments. I think Barkley was out there to try to see other players and what other players could do. And I think Woodside was out there to say, okay, let's try to get into the flow of the offense and let's see who does what because very clearly you know like I said those deep passes down the right sideline and then for Woodside you know they were in the red zone and they were so clearly trying to just work on this was after the long punt return they were so clearly trying to work on kicks they ran it three times with who was it it wasn't Hill it was a Makai Sargent maybe uh, where they ran it three times in the red zone and then immediately ran out there and punt like in air and uh, kicked a field goal just to test kind of where McCann was and how they worked in a quick change. But I mean, the the Titans won that game. They won it handily, but that's a byproduct. Like they were using that as a practice. So we didn't really get to see either one have a full script to see what they can do. So just because. Cam Batson made a spectacular catch and, you know, Kinsey lit up against whoever he was playing, you know, just because those things happen doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that those are the guys you would see on Sunday. So I think everybody who has a strong opinion either way needs to take a step back and just relax a little bit. But Woodside looked fine. Like if that's what everybody wants to hear, Woodside looked fine. Matt Barkley looked fine. Don't lose your head over it. Yeah. I, my thing with with uh, the the difference, I think it really comes down to a stylistic preference rather than who is better because they're very different quarterbacks. And you know, obviously, and I've said this over and over again. Yes, if Ryan Tannehill goes down for the season, the Titans are screwed. The season is over. But if he goes down for a game or two, you want someone who can steal a win in that one or two game span. And I think that Barkley probably has a better chance of that because I think if Woodside was in there, it would look a lot like what the Titans offense looked like with Matt Castle at the tail end of his career where he couldn't throw the ball more than 10 yards and so the defense just crept in and it was more congested than a sinus infection. And I think that that is what Woodside's offense would look like. I know he's smart with the football. I know he gets it where he needs to go. But arm strength is important, and while you don't have to be Josh Allen, you do have to be kind of, you know, average in that area. And I think he's below average. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I do think that's what it would look like, and it would be gross. I don't know how much different a Matt Barkley-led offense would be. We we haven't really seen. I mean, we've seen a little bit of it in the NFL. He really hasn't played too many games. Uh, but when he's had the chance, at times, he has driven the ball down the field, or at least tried to. Uh, unfortunately, it's ended up in, in interceptions, a lot of interceptions uh, in the past. But I would rather you run your normal offense 
down the field, actually taking shots instead of going to, like you said, the Matt Castle type of offense where you're just playing scared uh, and you're trying to grind out a, a gross win that's probably going to end up with you uh, losing the game anyway. But I, I feel like they're going to go what side anyway. I, I just feel like they, they, they like him. Oh, yeah. it's. I don't think it's a question who they're going to pick. It's just I, I don't think he's the better option. Let me ask you this. So for the purposes of the preseason, let's say they're not going to play Tannehill. I, I don't know. I don't I don't think we've got any indication like one way or another. I would not be surprised to see him in like one game. Yeah. I, like me a too. drive. Yeah. I can't figure out if that would be this game to give him the opt like a ton of rest or if it would be the last game to, to get him, you know, whatever. That's that's well, a variable well, thing. The weird thing with this year is there's two weeks between the final preseason game and the regular season opener. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's basically like. I mean, it's, it's like they cut off the fourth game, not the first game. So that's where the difference is in the preseason schedule. But I, would you rather have, if you're Mike Vrabel, do you think the better approach is to say, okay, look, we're going to have Chester Rogers and Mason Kinsey and Josh Reynolds work with Woodside, and then we're going to have McMath, Fitzpatrick, and Johnson work with Barkley. That way, when they're on the field, you get some guys who at least have chemistry together instead of constantly throwing guys in different spots. Like, Do you think that's a better way to evaluate I, both the quarterback and the wide receivers? Yeah, I, I think it's a nifty idea. I just don't know that it, A, makes a whole lot of de- defense, makes a whole lot of difference, or or B, that I, I don't think they'll actually do it. Like, It's probably not going to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, it probably won't. It's, it's Like I said, it's not – you know, it's not old school mentality, which is kind of how Vrabel runs his stuff. But I, I do think that would be an interesting way to do it where you just say, look, you know, you're the X, you're the Z, you're the slot. Like with the first team, you're that with the second team this week. That's why we're going to work you. Now show me if you can do it or not. Yeah. But I mean, that that's not how it goes, but it, uh, that would be interesting. Let's look ahead to – Joint practices with the Buccaneers. I'm sitting in Tampa right now on Tuesday. The Titans will be practicing on Wednesday and Thursday against the Bucks in advance of a preseason game on Saturday evening. What do you care about with the practices in particular? Because there's going to be reports coming out. There's going to be videos coming out, some of them from me. What matters and what doesn't? I, I We asked something similar to that this morning on the morning show, and a lot of people said, uh, they wanted to watch the Titans' corners against these Bucks receivers. I, I think that's a great thing to look at to see if they get dominated or, or if they're able to stand their ground like we've seen them do in training camp. I think there are a lot of really interesting matchups. I want to see Levante David and Devin White against this Titans' offensive line and blitzing Ryan Tannehill to try to get the ball out of his hand quickly and not be able to get it downfield to – A.J. Brown and, and Julio Jones if he manages to practice. I, I think there's a lot to look at. What do you all think matters? And, and maybe even what, what doesn't matter that you think might come out of this? Yeah. So the ones you mentioned are pretty much what I would be looking forward to. Uh, I, I think there's a really great test for, for the cornerback group, which has been solid uh, in training camp, and they played very well in the first preseason game. Uh, but this will probably be their biggest test probably of the entire season 
Uh, granted, it, it's in practice. And also, that matchup between the front seven of the Buccaneers, which is just so talented, so fast, so strong, going up against the Titans' offensive line, which is, you know, one of our best assets. Uh, I mean, that's uh, that should be a lot of fun. The, the Bucs are stacked on the front seven, man. Devin White is an insane player. Levante David has always been incredible. And Dominic Sue, you can talk about perhaps having a Hall of Fame resume one day. Shaq Barrett's been on a tear the last two years. Jason Pierre-Paul has had a steady and very productive NFL career. Vita Vea has come into his own. Like They've got an overwhelming group of guys who can get after the quarterback and blow up run plays. Yeah, they are incredibly talented all around. They probably should be the favorites to win the Super Bowl yet again. Uh, but in these practices, I, I'm also interested to see how the Titans' front defensive line uh, does against the Buccaneers' offensive line because they have a really good offensive line too. I mean, Tristan Wirfs, I think, was a pro bowler in his rookie year. Uh, they have Ellie Marpay, Donovan Smith, who had a really good season. They just have a really solid offensive line, and the Titans' defensive line looked really good in this first preseason game, but they, they did so without their starters. Uh, so uh, I'll be interested to see if the entire defensive line group, uh, especially some of the backups who played really well uh, in the first preseason game, if they get um, if they do well against the Buccaneers starting offensive line. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have I have a hard time really getting into this joint practice because so many players for the Titans haven't been practicing like. I understand that you want to make sure they're healthy for these joint practices and, you know, maybe to some degree for the uh, preseason game. But the only real thing to take away is what happens in 11 on 11 because every other drill is skewed, you know, one way or the other. Like pass rush periods, the defense should always win the majority of those because you know what's coming. Same thing with run fits. Like you always know where the ball's going. Like it, you know, it shouldn't be a big mystery, especially when you're playing the Titans and you have to deal with so much play action. Like those drills aren't going to tell you anything. Um, so it's probably 11 on 11 and it's probably when the Titans defense is out there against the Bucks offense. Then, then I guess I would kind of echo a lot of what y'all said, because I think that, I really want to see what this interior line defensive line does to the interior offensive line of the Bucks. I think that's just an interesting matchup. I'm interested to see how much Dupree and Landry do and what they do against uh, the, I don't know why I went blank on his name, the kid they drafted last year, um, the offensive tackle who plays, I think he plays right tackle for him. Um, Tristan Wirfs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tristan Wirfs. There you go from Iowa. Yeah. Um, I want to see how he, because he kind of got cooked a little bit uh, versus the Bengals, and all the beat writers are are quickly out there jumping and say, no, 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 it was supposed to be a pass off between the right tackle and right guard. That's super not what happened. I mean, he clearly like overkicked and left too much space inside and couldn't come back to it. Or I guess the entire offensive line didn't know that was what they were supposed to do. But um, and he's not necessarily had a good training camp by my from what i remember so i'm interested to see how those guys do against him how rashad weaver does against him like what what they kind of do on the edges yeah. but 
more than anything, and, and this is just the wet blanket, I mean, the most wet blanket answer you can have, but I just don't want anybody to get hurt. Like, this is <laughs> yeah. the first time, time I'm like, I don't really care what happens. Like, I mean, it, it's interesting, and you anything that skews heavily in favor of one player or one side of the ball will be noteworthy and we'll need to talk about it. But I, I, I just feel so confident that this team can win 13 games and win the AFC South easily and go to the playoffs that – I, I'm more worried that somebody's going to get banged up and you'll have, have to deal with that. And I really don't want that. You know, there's so little that I think the Titans can get out of this practice other than, you know, really shaking the rust off and getting ready for a regular season. But I, I mean, I think we know most of what the Titans and, you know, on offense, especially does well, like, I don't know that I would rush anybody back to practice in this game, but I, I do. I do think the defensive line versus the Bucks' offensive line is probably the most interesting matchup for me. Before we get to the Vrabel game, I want to comment on something you just said, Will. You mentioned, you know, that the, the, you think this team has the potential to win 13 games, and I just want to say quickly, like I get asked this time of year always, but but it seems like more this year. A lot of people. You know, talking to me, man, so how do you think the Titans are going to do this year? I'm, I'm sure the same happens with y'all. And the word I keep using is, it's exciting to watch this team. And y'all know me. Like, I'm a, I'm a harsh critic. I hold them to a very high standard. I'm not really easily impressed. But And I don't know that it so much comes from watching them practice and being like, these guys look good. It's just learning the roster, learning the personalities, talk, hearing Vrabel talk, hearing these coordinators talk learning about the change in the structure on defense. And you know the talent on offense especially. It's really exciting. I think they've got something really special built. Yeah, they definitely do. It's going to be an exciting season. I really hope so. And I think the Titans can make a serious run deep into the AFC playoffs. Uh, and, and this is this is the barometer you want, especially in these practices uh, against the Super Bowl champions. Like, if you go into these practices and you come out feeling much more confident because you went toe to toe with the team that just won the Super Bowl and is the favorite to win the Super Bowl again, that's just a big confidence boost for for everyone involved, uh, and it's the right way to get your season started. Are y'all ready for the Vrabel game? Yes. Let's do it. Yes. We're going to do the, the Tannehill game with Mike Vrabel. Will, quickly explain to us why we're doing this. So there was a prop bet out on which coach would be fired first. And, you know, we what, have what had our issue. Ooh, I don't know. Okay. Um. I remember we shared it and the it, we shared it kind of as a laugh. But the reason I kind of brought it up is the around the NFL podcast talked about something similar about which coaches were in jeopardy and which weren't. And they had Vrabel and the not in jeopardy and that he was completely safe and all that. And I, for the most part, I agree with that. I think there's some extremes that could happen, but the fact that he was listed. I think it was eight to 10 uh, coaches who have the highest odds to be fired first. I thought it was really interesting. And when they were talking about head coaches, when they were going over their list, I couldn't help but think, okay, if 
I was a neutral fan base, would I rather have Mike Vrabel or that guy? And it got me thinking, okay, if we're not going to have a guest this week, let's go ahead and talk about this in place of the Tannehill segment because it's interesting because we have historically been lower on Mike Vrabel than most people. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I, I think there's less competition out there than we think. And this is this is fun because, like you said, we are not Vrabel fanboys. So I'm really interested to see how this goes. Uh, the same rules as always. You have three options, better, worse, or push. We're going to go through the 31 other teams. We're going to start with the Arizona Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury. I take Vrabel. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. John Harbaugh. I'm taking Harbaugh. Yeah, Harbaugh. Yeah, Harbaugh's good. Atlanta Falcons and Arthur Smith. Ooh. <laughs> this is for Will. This is this one's for Will. Yeah, there's a right answer. It's Arthur Smith. I'm gonna mm, uh, I'm gonna take Mike Vrabel. Push. I'm gonna put oh. I was gonna So push. it's a it's a push then. That's it's a push, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sean McDermott, Buffalo Bills. I take Vrabel. Ooh, that's a push for me. I take okay. McDermott. Okay, so that one also goes in the push. Interesting. We got very little pushes with Tannehill, but we're getting them early. Yeah. With this one. Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers. Give me big money. Uh, yeah, Vrabel for sure. Vrabel, yeah. Bengals, Zach Taylor. <laughs> Vrabel. Vrabel. Chicago Bears, Matt Nagy. Mike Vrabel? Yeah. Vrabel. Vrabel, yeah. Here's an interesting one. Cleveland Browns, Kevin Stefanski, reigning coach of the year. Very small sample size, but he was incredible with the Browns in one year. I had no idea who was the coach of the year. Um, I'm going to go with a push. Push. I'm going to say push. I'd pick Vrabel. So Vrabel wins. Uh, no, I guess yeah. what happens if two of us pick push and one of us doesn't? Does that mean? I think that's, C plus, that's a C plus. So that's a. That's a <laughs> Vrabel wins. So. Yeah. Okay. We will put Cleveland in the worst column and we'll put an asterisk next to it because it was hotly debated. This one's a tough one, guys. Dallas Cowboys, Mike McCarthy. Yes. No, Vrabel. Vrabel. Oh, I, I didn't get so tell him sarcasm. Yeah. Denver Broncos head coach. Oh, What's his name? Vic Fangio. They change so often, I can't remember, and they all stink, yeah. so they're indistinguishable. Give me Vrabel. Vrabel. Vrabel, but Fangio is what people think Vrabel is, by the way. But Fangio. Or, sorry, but Vrabel is my answer. Uh, Detroit Lions. Walmart brand Mike Vrabel, Ugh. Dan Campbell. Yeah. He's, Vrabel. He's, I think he's kind of goofy. Dan Vrabel, Campbell. I do too. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Houston Texans David Cully. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Green Bay Packers. Matt Lafleur. Vrabel. Lafleur's <laughs> been really good. I don't know. But he has Rogers, so I don't know how much. I'd take Rabel. I would take Rabel. 
I'll, I'll take Vrabel uh, only, but solely on the fact that I think that Matt Lafleur was, you know, picked to be the head coach, and Aaron Rodgers bullied him into letting Aaron Rodgers do whatever he wanted to do, and then Matt, I think Matt Lafleur kind of lost it after that. Indianapolis Colts, Frank Reich. I'm gonna say push, and I know Will is gonna be so mad, but I'm gonna say push. Well, okay, go ahead, mm. Matias. I, I like Reich, but I, w- I would take Rabel. I don't like yeah. – you know, let me say this. I don't like Chris Ballard. I think Chris Ballard is severely overrated. I think Frank Reich's a really, really good coach. I just think he don't, doesn't never have a whole lot to work with because of Chris Ballard. Yeah. I mean, he's only had Andrew Luck and Phillip Rivers. He had Andrew it Luck is, for it a is hard. year. A year. Yeah. I mean, he's only been coached for, and they what, went to the three pl- years? They, won, they, years? they went to the playoffs that year. They've it's, never won the AFC South. They've so, ne- so, they, he has never won the AFC so South. So you're taking Vrabel? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Urban Meyer. As fun as throwing to the tight ends is, like, I'll take Vrabel. Urban Meyer. <laughs> Could skip this one. Yeah. <laughs> Sean McVay, I'm going to take him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd take McVay, yeah. Yeah, Big Bay. Minnesota Vikings and Mike Zimmer. What a train wreck they have going on there at the moment. Give me Vrabel. Vrabel, without a doubt. I don't know. I really like Zimmer, by the way. Why? I'm going to say push, but I I really like Zimmer. I I mean, he's done well. He's been to the championship game, right? Or no, no. Yeah, that's right. He has been to the championship game. So it's Vrabel. Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid. Give me Andy Reid. Yeah. Yeah, of course. For sure. New Orleans Saints, Sean Payton. Give me Sean Payton. Sean Payton kind of pisses me off. Sean Payton won a Super Bowl and always is on the door of doing it again. So, hold on. Um, I will say this. I'll Uh, say push because I didn't realize this until I looked it up. But do you realize he had back-to-back seven and nine seasons? Yes, Uh, I do because they had historically bad defenses, which he doesn't control. Yeah, I mean, but he still had Drew their Brees defenses during those side. two seasons were the Titans' defense last year, where they yeah, were like but the setting Titans won eleven games. Like, but the Titans won eleven games. Well, and I mean, like, I, I hear what you're those saying. Were transitional, I would argue that those were transitional years for the franchise. They lost Marcus Colston, they lost Darren Sproles, and once they got their replacements and Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas, they were fine. But the voting is over. Sean Payton's wins because y'all both said push, and I said better. Hold on. I said Payton at the end. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, Either let way. The record Same show. result. <laughs> LV Raiders and Ugh. the Gruden Grinder. Oh I'm in Vrabel. his old stomping grounds right now. Yeah, Vrabel. But he won a Super Bowl, so what do you think, Luke? <laughs> but that was 20 yeah, years ago. Ask me 20 years ago, and we'll see. McCarthy won one more recently than that, but whatever. Mm. New York Giants and Joe Judge, who's also very goofy. Oh, my God. I hate that guy. guy I do, too. (laughs) Yeah, Vrabel for sure. L.A. Chargers. I can't remember their head coach's name. Staley. Brandon Staley. Uh, Yeah, there's a reason I can't remember his name. (laughs) No one knows knows who he is. (laughs) No one knows. Where did he come from? Uh, he was Rams. the Rams, like when they were number the one in defense. Andrew, he came yeah. out of nowhere. I'm I'm very interested to see how he does and somebody else on this list too. But I'm I'm looking ahead at the list and there are some tough ones. Co- there's a there's a tough one coming up. 
Philadelphia Eagles. I can't remember their coach's name either. It's a fake name. Sirion. It's a, Sirion. Yeah, Nick Sirion. On, That's right. <laughs> Vrabel. Yeah. Vrabel. Miami Dolphins, Brian Flores. I'm going to say Vrabel, Whoa. but I could see an argument for a push. Uh, it's all like potential with Flores. He's never actually made the playoffs. Yeah, I like his personality, and I lo- love what he does on defense, but I'm going to go with Vrabel. I'll say I'm going to say push. Okay. Yeah. He, Flores won an impressive number of games with a horrific roster two years ago. Yeah. The next two I would think will be pretty easy. 49ers and Kyle Shanahan. Give me Shanahan. Mm-hmm. New England Patriots mm-hmm. and Bill Belichick. Give me Bill. The coach, not the GM, Will. Yep, I'm in. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. This is the one that I think we're going to hotly debate. Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll. I'm going to take Pete Carroll. Nah, give me Brable. I don't yeah. like Why? Pete Carroll. Yeah, I also don't like Pete Carroll. Don't like him. I just don't like him. You think Mike Vrabel is better than Pete Carroll? I think Pete Carroll is bad. I think Pete Carroll is resistant to change in a way that I don't think Mike yes. Vrabel is as bad. Like, I think it, it, Mike Vrabel will be forced into change at times, but I, I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong. We'll see how Shane Bowen does this year. I could easily change my mind, but it. And there's also something about how he gum chews and claps, and he's like 75 <laughs> years old. And I'm like, I'm like, hey man, you got to switch your style up. You're stressing me out. New York yeah. Jets and uh, uh, Sala, Sala, Robert Sala. Yeah, uh, Vrabel, but this one's difficult because he's new. Yeah, Vrabel. Yeah, yeah exactly. But Bra- Vrabel has a lot of potential. Solid yeah, Vrabel for the same Tannehill rule where it's like if you're a rookie, like you don't get any credit. But I think he and Staley are, are super interesting guys, but they're both defensive coordinators, so that usually doesn't work. Tampa Bay Bucks, Bruce Arians. I'm taking Bruce. Huh. I don't like him either, to be honest. But yeah, you know, I think y'all say- forget how infuriating Vrabel is. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that, that's, <laughs> that's a good awesome. counterpoint. <laughs> like, last season, every week, we would have guests on and be like, what does Vrabel actually do? And now y'all are like, Bruce Arians just won the Super Bowl, but Vrabel better. No, but see, I hate this him. Is, this is why I thought it was a good argument, is because I think, like, I, when I think of Bruce Arians, all I can think of is how the Bucks kind of tripped their way over their own feet into a Super Bowl because their defense <laughs> was really good. Like they threw three interceptions but, but in the Bruce NFC Championship Arians game. Has, and I think this is an interesting question, not for right now, but Bruce Arians may have a Hall of Fame resume. Does he? Uh, he I don't think so. Right? As, the, As like the quarterback, or was he OC? Yeah. He was quarterback's coach or OC for Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, and Ben Roethlisberger. He won a Super Bowl. He nearly went to one with the Cardinals. Two Coach of the Year awards. That's a pretty strong resume. But I, that, that aside, yeah. him or Vrabel? I'm taking uh, him. Push. I'm going to push. push. Yeah. So, so he goes in the, the taking him column. Yes. Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin. Give me Tomlin. Yeah. Oh, what? Are you guys you don't like Tomlin? Uh, this might be a trend. I don't really like any coach in the NFL, it seems. But <laughs> he, uh, no, I don't like Tomlin. He went eight and eight or whatever with Duck Hodges as his quarterback. <laughs> like, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> 
That's that's that a pretty true. wild thing to do. Dude, he seems like always collapsed for very random reasons. Pretty much yeah. every season. I, I I will say that they never show just, up for a big game. Just think about yeah, Antonio Brown and what we didn't know about him for years. Yeah, I've heard that before. That's pretty good. And also, he had like Ryan Shazier like have that issue, and the defense seemingly like never took a step back. Like that, he was the key to their entire defense, and he was just like, "That's fine. We'll put in uh, Robert Spillane, and we'll be okay." And they were. Fair enough. Fair enough. I was just say push anyway. So last one, yeah. one, Washington football team Ron Rivera push. You know. I've never liked Rivera all that much, but yeah, push, push. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to push with him too. So Ron Rivera goes in the push category. So here's where we ended up. We had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight coaches that we voted were better than Mike Vrabel and three pushes, meaning that at best Vrabel's ninth, at worst he is 12th. So we see Vrabel the same way most of the people we've had on see Tannehill. Yeah. yeah. Although I, like, I see him further down than y'all because I thought that Stefanski and uh, Reich were also ahead. Yeah. I, I think I need a couple more uh, terrible decisions in season and then I'll push him back down to like 15 or something. Yeah, you should you should ask me as soon as we uh, like, rehired like, Shane Bowen. I would have yeah. been like, "Yeah, like, he's the worst. I hate him." <laughs> How soon we forget? All right, guys, it's time for stop the nonsense. Who would like to kick us off? Uh, I can start. Mine, mine's quick. Mine is essentially the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing Tom Brady in the first preseason game. Yeah, what was why, that about? Why are you putting? You're a 44-year-old quarterback to play in a completely meaningless game after just winning the Super Bowl. He doesn't have to get used to anyone. They brought back all of the same starters. The only new piece is like Giovanni Bernard. Just absolutely ridiculous decision to play him and risk just, I don't know, an offensive lineman rolling right into his leg and, and him getting injured. Like, just very dumb. And I don't really understand the need for that. Like, if it was, obviously, if it's a rookie, fine. Uh, if it's a veteran, maybe just to get, like, one series in. But a 44-year-old, most important player in the league, quarterback? No, that's just insane. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, it, it's he really rides that line between, like, try-hard and a guy where you're like, oh, I actually kind of respect that because they also showed him taking snaps from a rookie center in the fourth quarter of the preseason game. And I was like, you've got to be wired different to be just like taking rookie snaps like in the fourth quarter of a preseason game when you're 48 years old or whatever he is. Um, I'll go ahead and go next. So mine is uh, Jamal Adams getting his mega contract. Um, I think we all agree to some extent that Jamal Adams basically it get gets the Troy Polamalu freedom in a defense, but never gets the Troy Polamalu blame if the defense doesn't work. Like, not not that Troy Polamalu got any blame because he was good enough to do it, but he like they basically create an overhang position for him to just be a free blitzer 
as like a slot blitzer or whatever. And I, I don't know, like, I think every time his stats get lumped in with safeties, it's like he's the only safety to have five tackles for loss and three sacks in three straight years. It's like, yeah, because most safeties are, you know, back covering like what a safety is supposed to do. Like at a certain point, if you called Jeffrey Simmons a safety, he could break some records too. But, you know, that it's not really playing the same position. So at the end of the day, they basically gave him, what, like $18 million? It was between, I think, it's 17 to $18 million, something like that, uh, per year. And look, that's fine, and it leads all safeties, and that's a ton of money. Just call him an off-ball linebacker. Like, he'd be right there with Darius Leonard and Fred Werner, and I think that's kind of where he is. Like, I, I think that's the position he kind of plays. But this idea that he's some transcendent safety and that he deserves this mega contract for his work at safety, just uh, it completely undermines the position. And I don't really enjoy hearing all this hype talk. It, it, I wonder, if Luke, do you know how many interceptions Jamal Adams has in four seasons? Are, are you about to tell me? No, nah, I wanted you to uh, guess. Let's ask Siri. How many career interceptions does Jamal <laughs> Adams have? He has two career interceptions. That is correct. It's unbelievable. Imagine yeah. paying. Oh my god! It's it's Zero. it's one of the most. Not only did they give him the contract, like they traded two first round picks for him. It's one of the one of the worst moves I think we've seen in a really long time in the NFL. Yeah, and, and a lot of people don't talk about it. Oh, they do talk no. about it as heroic. Yeah, as what a feat by <laughs> Pete Carroll in this team. Uh, Dude, but I mean, it's it's a. Uh, it's the same thing that the Texans did with the Tunsil trade. Like it's a stupid move yeah. that you give up all your leverage for. And then when there's no tangible impact, like he hadn't had an interception for the Seahawks. Like he, like his two interceptions came with the jets. Like, I mean, he's at, he has nine and a half sacks and that's great, but that's cause they use him as a linebacker. Like, you know, it's, it's very, uh, it's very aggravating. Like you said, to hear them trumpeted as geniuses. <laughs> All right, my turn. So, a, a few months ago, it might have been late last year, we were going to have Barry McCockiner on the podcast. And the audio failed when I did the interview. It was so just a great interview, but the audio failed, which was crushing. But anyway, we both kind of said, if you don't know who that is, Twitter troll, my favorite account on Twitter. He's hilarious. Uh, but we both said, well, we'll try again later because it was a lot of fun, but we don't want it to sound like, you know, just rehearsed, memorized questions. So I shot him a message a few weeks ago knowing that I would be coming to Brady land and he's the ultimate Brady hater. And I said, hey, you ready to try it again? He said, sure, let's do it. And so we were going to do it on Saturday. Well, what happened Friday night? Barry got banned. Probably because of stupid Rob Parker, who I've had blocked on Twitter for years, who said, who read one of his news reports, quote-unquote, on his radio show that the Texans had released Deshaun Watson, which is hilarious. That's why one of the reasons why Barry is so funny is because his fake news reports are so believable. But Twitter suspended him. And so my stop to nonsense, first of all, is that we can't ever seem to, to get Barry McCockner to work out for no nonsense. But it's going to happen eventually, I'm convinced. He is back on Twitter. Uh, he has a new account now. Um 
But also, I don't know why he keeps getting suspended. Like, I guess technically he's breaking the rules by spreading false information, but, like, it's super funny and everyone loves it. And even, like, the news personalities like Rappaport and stuff play along. I don't know. That's my stop the nonsense. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't even know Twitter could suspend you for, like, well, I guess I, guess I knew they could uh, suspend you for misinformation, but come on. <laughs> for a fake a fake sports news report. I think that's a little over yeah. the line. I was scrolling through I mean, some old... I, uh, go ahead, Will. Well, I was going to say, he's very much not my sense of uh, humor sometimes <laughs> yeah. because I also fall for it, and I'm like, whoa, is this real? And that's why I don't follow him, but just don't follow him. Like, like he, that's like the answer for one, all these he's, accounts. He's so funny. Like He had one a couple weeks ago where it was like, Kirk Cousins completed a deep pass in practice, and Anthony Barr was like, "So you'll take a shot downfield, but not one that saves lives." Like, just so funny. And like, immediately led to a fight or whatever. They, yeah. yeah, that was a great. And then the one that Vince Young retweeted uh, that was so stupid, uh, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> I can't but it's just, it, he does he does some funny stuff. My face. I was scrolling through some old photos today, and actually came across a screenshot. And it is my all-time favorite tweet of his. He just tweeted, My biggest fear in life is getting down on one knee to propose to someone and the national anthem starts playing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That was, like, right during the midst of the Kaepernick stuff, too, or on the tail of it. It was just so funny. All right, that is going to do it for us. We'll be back next week to recap Titans preseason game number two, as well as joint practices against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Thank you all for tuning in. For Will Matias, I'm Luke, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.